a remote fantastical kingdom far from Europe's chancelleries of power. An ancient castle where secrets are walled up. An unpopular monarch on the eve of his coronation. A ruling class of plotters and would-be usurpers. And a gentleman adventurer on holiday. No, not Ruritania in the 19th century, but the United Kingdom in the 21st. Stein's new book, The Prisoner of Windsor, is a contemporary inversion of Anthony Hope's classic, The Prisoner of Zender. In the original, an English gentleman on vacation is called upon to stand in for his lookalike, the King of Ruritania, at his coronation. Over a century later, a Ruritanian on vacation in London is called upon to return the favour and stand in for an Englishman in an absurd, fantastical kingdom where Brexit never quite happened. Plots are afoot. The Prisoner of Windsor by Mark Stein. Available in hardback and digital editions or for a personally autographed copy, go to steinonline.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, June the 2nd, 2023. It is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That is 4 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past four in Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. in London and Dublin, 9 p.m. in Paris and Berlin, 10 p.m. in... I'm not even going to attempt it. I'm not... I think... I, do you want me to name the Ukrainian capital? I'm going to say Kiev. I can't do it the other way. Uh, I I am uh, my uh, been so afflicted that I cannot do the necessary long vowel that we un, one is meant to do with Kiev 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 Kiev. Ten p.m. in Kiev. Also ten p.m. in Moscow, uh, because they're now in the same time zone, if not in the same country. Ten thirty p.m. in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. Midnight forty-five in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. Three a.m. in Singapore, Honkers, and Perth. I'm very sorry about that. 5 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne. I'm still very sorry. 7 a.m. for in uh, in Auckland. Uh, I'm not really sorry about that. And a very convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgery in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific. Today is International Sex Workers Day uh, or Hurontag, Hors Day. The Day of Whores in Germany. If you are, according to taste, a whore or a sex worker, 
Uh, just like uh, take a break for 60 minutes. Tell the guy to go back and sit in the waiting room and uh, and have a listen to the show on this international sec. Take the weight off your back uh, just for an hour. Uh, International Sex Workers Day commemorates the occupation of the Saint-Nizier Church in the Rue de Brest in Lyon, France, by more than a hundred prostitutes on June the 2nd, 1975, in protest of their inhumane working conditions. Lyon is a place that I always associate now with my heart attacks because... I had the, uh, the, the, the first one after landing from Lyon and the second one after landing at Lyon about an hour after I left the airport. Uh, and so uh, as I associate it with my poor bum ticker, the last thing I need to be thinking about is a hundred uh, hookers in hold up on the Rue de Brest in uh, the Saint-Nizé church in, uh, in Lyon. Uh, not uh, not good for me at all. Anyway, uh, we shall be marking International Sex Workers Day, musically speaking, uh, a little later. We did some pretty great telly shows this week, uh, not just with Ava, Leilani uh, and Alexandra, but also with other old friends such as Jamie Jenkins and Joe Nova. Um, and it's taken it out of me. A bit more than it did the previous week, so I'm going to try and struggle through for this uh, next hour and uh, try and address many of the things that are going on. As you know, if you saw Wednesday's show, uh, the uh, claim against Ofcom that yours truly has filed uh, has now been issued in the High Court. And uh, as you know, the name of the case is actually the king on the application of Mark Stein versus Ofcom. Uh, And it's great to have the king on my side, but he's a bit of a sleeping partner. Um, I don't think he's he's really going to be in there socking it to Ofcom. So I'm going to have to do that myself. And a lot of you have uh, written uh, and uh, emailed and tweeted to know how you can uh, help along. And it's very easy. All, all you have to do is uh, just uh, buy a chum, a, a Stein Online gift certificate or a gift membership to the Mark Stein Club or buy them a copy of my book. Or if you really like them, uh, buy them a fabulous stateroom on July's Mark Stein Cruise. All that goes to support my case in the English High Court, and in return you get something for it too. I, I As you know, I've explained why I'm not uh, terribly comfortable with uh, the crowdfunding and all the rest of it, and I, uh, for the very good reason that in the Mann case, Mann actually tried to find out who uh, all my donors are, and you know, there are crap corrupt judges in America who will entertain such things as that. Uh, And that's why I prefer to keep things just as straightforward commercial transactions. But I do thank all of you who have joined the club for specifically that reason. I even thank those of you 
posted some of those five-star reviews at Amazon saying, buy the book because it'll help support Stein uh, at the High Court. No, buy the book because it's a bloody good book and you'll have a laugh and a half. But it also does entirely uh, coincidentally help me in my uh, uh, suit at the High Court. We'll get into that. We will also get into uh, the fall... (laughs) of America as represented by the fall of Joe Biden on stage at the Air Force Academy yesterday. Do you remember the equivalent event just before the uh, 2020 election? Uh, This time, not the Air Force Academy, but at West Point and Trump cautiously holding the handrail as he went down a ramp in his patent leather shoes or whatever they were. And all these, the headline in the New York Times all raises new questions about Trump's mental faculties. Uh, But apparently Biden falling over at the Air Force Academy just a week after he's fallen over at the G7, uh, apparently that doesn't raise any questions. No questions to be raised at all. Hart Leonard writes, I am, by the way, you know how this works. Uh, You don't have to be a Mark Sign Club member to listen. And we hope that uh, all 8 billion of you or thereabouts around the planet are, in fact, uh, now listening. You only have to be a Mark Sign Club member if you want to ask a question. So if you want to join in the next few minutes, we'll try and shunt yours to the front of the line. Hart Leonard writes, I am thoroughly ignorant of the protocols of the English High Court, but without divulging any legal strategy, is it possible or even necessary that any of your former GB News colleagues will be brought forth to give witness or testimony? Frankly, I would love to see certain of your former mates put into an uncomfortable position on your behalf. Kindly educate us on the step-by-step protocol of the High Court in this matter, i.e. what happens first, then afterwards, in seriatim. Is there an estimated date for when a decision will be made? I trust that the English system, unlike the corrupt US system, will not drag this into the 22nd century. Uh, Uh, Your position seems very, very strong, and I pray the English court retains a measure of objective jurisprudence, unlike the American system where all decisions are political. Well, just on the obvious difference there, Hart, Uh, (laughs) I mentioned last week uh, that we now have a supposedly firm date, or so uh, the judge assures us, in the Mann versus Stein trial, it's me and Rand Simberg, actually, uh, National Review and the Competitive Enterprise Institute are out of it. And that is October the 30th or November the 6th. He, he, he said he's either got a three-week trial or a four-week trial before us. So if it wraps up in three weeks, we're going on October the 30th. If it takes four weeks, we'll be going November the 6th. It is actually highly possible that the... <laughs> that my suit against Ofcom, that's, uh, that will be in year 13 in the District of Columbia Superior Court, Mann versus Stein. It's in, it is indeed highly possible that uh, I may have to ask the D.C. court to postpone uh, because I, I will be going to trial in the English High Court that week. Uh, or it might enti- be entirely possible that the suit will all be wrapped up by then. Um, we don't quite, uh, it, 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 everything takes a lot less time. I mean, this 13 years in the D.C. Superior Court, it's just, you know, 
Uh, I'm, I have to be a bit careful not to express my contempt for the court because that's contempt of court and the guy can throw me in the slammer. But you you wouldn't be human if you didn't have contempt for a a 13-year litigation of a 270-word blog post. Um, Anyway, this, it is entirely possible that the uh, suit before the English High Court will be wrapped up uh, before the Mann versus Stein suit. Um... The first thing, of course, is they have to uh, accept it uh, and uh, accept it for judicial review. If they don't, there's other complications that then go on. Uh, but that that's the first step, that they accept it for judicial review. As to whether any of my GB News colleagues are on there, well, we I don't want to disclose a lot of strategy, but the, the fact of the matter is that there's a guy at GB News who is basically Ofcom's man inside the building. This is very, you know, you've heard me talk about this with Cathy Gingell. This is not like previous UK regulators with which I was familiar, the Radio Authority, the Independent Broadcasting Authority, all these kind of people. Um, it's very difficult that they're actually, when you have a situation where Ofcom is presiding over training sessions, particularly as it's micromanaging editorial. We're going on the grounds that they've exceeded their powers and what they're doing is uh, illegal, and we happen to have chosen to, well, we didn't choose, it's what they chose to convict me of on the COVID vaccines. They could have convicted me on the so-called grooming gangs and all kinds of other things uh, where we were far more outspoken than the eunuchs of the UK media. Um, but on the on the business, whether it's the COVID vaccines or whatever, they are micromanaging editorial in ways that far exceed their remit. So Lord Grade and Dame Melanie Dawes have to be put out of a job. For example, they've decided that misgendering breaches the broadcasting code. That is something on which there is no societal consensus. Uh, Dylan Mulvaney, um, my uh, friend Leilani, <laughs> posted a picture of Leilani in a bikini <laughs> alongside a picture of Dylan Mulvaney in a bikini uh, with the two words, just saying. You are allowed to express the view that Dylan Mulvaney in a bikini is not a woman and you should be permitted to misgender him. But uh, no, 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 no. The control freak Michael Grade and Melanie Dawes and and what's her name? The woman work in my case. I think it's a woman called Nula Cosgrove. I think that's who we got the letter from. Um, they're they're uh, in, they're insisting now on micromanaging things like misgendering and the uh, and and the guy inside uh, a fellow called Nick Pollard, uh, who's inside the GB News building, uh, ensuring they stay compliant with Ofcom, is working all this. So I could well see him being called as a witness uh, in this case. Uh, GB News <laughs> is on the statement of claim as a so-called interested party, I think it would be fairer to describe them as an entirely uninterested party because they've decided to just, uh, as I said, 
on uh, so many months ago now just become Ofcom's bitches. Alison Castellina says, I've skim read the statement of claim as a layperson, not as a lawyer. My first feeling is that there is something wrong with Ofcom. It is not similar to other standards bodies and regulators which put in place a rigorous independent appeals process chaired by someone independent and probably named who is not batting for one side or the other. Or there is a route to a fair appeal via an independent ombudsman. The non-transparency of Ofcom, which seems to have no effective internal route to independent appeal. There is some sort of administrative tribunal I think you can go to. But that's a joke. And so we decided it's much better to kick it into the high court immediately. Because if we do wind up taking it to the European Court of Human Rights, you know, we've already got four stages. We've got the high court, we've got the Court of Appeals, we then have the Supreme Court, and we then have the European Court of Human Rights. So there's no uh, point wasting your time in some administrative uh, tribunal. Um, Uh, The non-transparency of Ofcom, which seems to have no effective internal route to independent appeal, is mysterious and evidenced by it not permitting Mark Stein to submit his own written evidence. Why not? Second, well, as uh, some Irish travellers, of all people, uh, which is, I think, what uh, uh, bigoted and prejudiced people used to call uh, Irish gypsies or tinkers, Tinkers, I think, in Britannic English. It's all a long time ago for me. Anyway, uh, these Irish travellers sued Ofcom uh, because they'd been the subject of some show on Channel 4 and um, Ofcom. uh, And then they took Ofcom to the High Court and uh, on the grounds that Ofcom had not uh, entertained any evidence from them, and and uh, that particular judge ruled that under the terms under which Ofcom was set up, Ofcom are not obligated. Ofcom can defame you, basically, and uh, are not uh, obligated to hear a word from you. So we will we will see how how that goes. Um, second, at the time, continues Alison Castellina. Uh, most mellifluous name. Don't think that's an Irish traveller name, but uh, if I'm wrong, I apologise. Uh, just in case, you know how it goes these days. At the time, uh, says Alison Castellina, there was barely any data for the public to scrutinise coming from the horse's mouth. All the official data the public could find was the UK Health Security Agency data. I was following its publications myself and did not always read the many footnotes because I did not trust them anyway. There was nothing transparent or open, honest to compare this data with at the time to get a fully balanced view due to the suppression of the press. As a viewer, I knew all this when viewing Mark's program. I'd come to the same conclusion as him from those UK Health Security Agency figures just published, but I held them with question marks hanging over them, i.e. lightly, because I knew A, we were only being shown glimpses of the straight facts, partly due to Ofcom preventing open discussion of them in the press, and B, because statisticians had not been able to flag up things about the data in public because no discussion were allowed. So making something of that sole UK HSA data was all any of us could do, and some of us 
were very concerned indeed about further boosters because some of our own relatives had not survived their first or second jabs. Most of those watching the Stein programs were probably in that category, i.e. very worried and cautious already. Yeah, well, we don't have to reach that, uh, as, as the American judges say. We don't have to reach that because there is an evidentiary hole in the... In, in in my Ofcom convictions, both of me and of the show with Naomi Wolf. And that is, you know, we are found to be harmful. For us to be harmful, uh, the, the, the ground on which we're harmful is because we're deterring people from taking the third shot, the booster shot. Now, for that to be harmful, there would be have to be evidence, Ofcom would have to enter evidence, which they do not, that the booster is beneficial. And the reason they cannot enter evidence that the booster is beneficial is because there is no such evidence. Quite a lot contrary to it, in fact. All they have is the propaganda uh, from Her Late Majesty and my woeful friend Boris Johnson down. That's all they've got. So there's an evidentiary hole there, Alison, as we'll see. Chris Davis writes, hi, Mark, I'm no lawyer. <laughs> I don't, there's no need for everybody to begin by saying I'm thoroughly ignorant of the protocols of the English High Court, as Hart Leonard says. Uh, I've skimmed uh, the statement of claim as a layperson, not a lawyer, as Alison Castellina says. Now, as Chris Davis says, I'm no lawyer. I tell you something. Uh, <laughs> it's that's overthinking it. If you want to operate as a lawyer, particularly in America, which employs as many lawyers as the rest of the planet combined, as my friend Conrad Black always likes to point out, uh, and in consequence, that means an awful lot of very bad lawyers, and I have absolutely no doubt that either Hart, Allison, or Chris would certainly be up to, uh, say, being a practicing attorney in the District of Columbia, where I've been holed up for uh, what, 12 years plus. Um, anyway, Chris Davis says, Hi, Mark, I'm no lawyer, but having read your statement of claim, I fail to see how you can lose your case against Ofcom unless Judge Grade is presiding. Uh, that's he's, uh, Chris is worried that uh, Lord Grey, the chairman of... Uh, Ofcom and chief censor of the United Kingdom might also be doing a little moonlighting as a judge on the High Court of England and Wales. Your victory, says Chris, will not only kneecap the censors of free speech, but will hopefully also put a wrecking ball through the draconian online harms bill, which is making its passage through the UK Parliament as an excellent, if unintended, consequence. May I take this opportunity to urge all listeners... Uh, to avail themselves of some Stein literary or musical output, memorabilia, a Stein Club membership or a gift certificate. Gavin Miller, KC, and his team cannot be funded from the U.S. national debt, even though the amount is trifling by comparison. This is a fight you must and will win, bum ticker notwithstanding. Keep well, Mark, says Chris Davis. Yes, thank you for that. Gavin uh, is an excellent KC, uh, King's Counsel for you non-commonwealthers out there. Uh, he's, an, he's, a, he's a cracker of a King's Council, and uh, a lot of this is second nature to him. His big thing is free speech. 
I don't need to cite any other example uh, than his representation of Savan Morrison, uh, the legendary Ulster rocker, in his case against the uh, Health Minister of Northern Ireland in the High Court of Northern Ireland, where he was represented by Gavin, uh, basically for, for very much an analogous to the Ofcom case. In this case, it was the health minister, but again, the government. Again, public authority, uh, whether in at Ofcom in London or at the health ministry in Northern Ireland. In this case, the health minister fancied himself a musical critic because he was attacking Van Morrison's No More Lockdown songs, which you can't, oddly enough, after they get attacked by people like the health minister of Northern Ireland, they become all but impossible to find on the internet. Uh, so that's what uh, Gavin was uh, doing a couple of years earlier into this sick new um, COVID world. Uh, Drew Weber writes, Hello, Mark. So the FBI is going to turn over documents regarding a bribery scheme by then Vice President Biden. Will likely have as much impact as Hunter's laptop and the Durham report. If the Republicans truly wish to have anything stick, they should hire the Hillary campaign. We saw how they manufactured the Russian hoax. Just think what they could do with the hard evidence of Biden family corruption. I believe that Biden did not challenge Hillary in 2016 because he knew Hillary would reveal his corruption and crimes. What do you think the chances are that the 2024 election will be challenged by two candidates neither named Biden or Trump. Um, that's actually an excellent point because it would have been, you know, whatever you think of Joe Biden, he was more on his game in 2016 than he was when he decided to run four years later. And the obvious reason is that uh, the Clinton crime syndicate doesn't mess around. And they would have done to Biden what they wound up trying to do to Trump, except that in the case, uh, there is no evidence that uh, Trump is on the take from Russia, whereas there is plenty of evidence that Biden is on the take from China and Biden's son is on the take from China and Biden's brother is on the take from China and Biden's daughter-in-law is on the take from China. And Hillary wouldn't have been shy about using that. And it, it's interesting to me. I mean, you know, Hillary doesn't seem in, in the best of shape, but compared to Biden, she is. And uh, I don't entirely rule, depending on how uh, he wobbles around, I don't entirely rule out her, her jumping in. Uh, that that would make a uh, that would make a lot of sense. But the point here, which is the real shocker, is not the, the the Bidens are a very typical kind of American political family. You know, uh, you have these absolutely Hunter Biden is a, a a wreck of a human being. He can barely function. He uses his hookers as his confessors. There is only one reason to give money to Hunter Biden, which is as a way of funneling it to Joe Biden for political favors. Okay, but as I said, 
That's not untypical for certain kinds of American political families. What is uh, different is the lengths that the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Department of Justice and other bodies that are not meant to be on the take from Joe Biden or Chairman Xi, the lengths they're prepared to go to to protect Biden. Uh, Those, uh, the FBI, I mean, this is why it's best to keep it all. Scandals that get complicated don't go anywhere with the American public because they get a headache trying to follow them. This is all very simple. They had Hunter Biden's laptop for over a year before the election, the FBI did, and they went through it. We now know that. So if they went through it, they saw all the 10 percent for the big guy and they knew that the Biden family were on the take from the Chicoms, right? That they're basic. The Biden family is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Chinese Communist Party. That is it. It's indefensible. The court eunuchs of the American media want to lie about it. Uh, the fact that the Bi- Joe Biden is staggering around, falling over at the G7, at the Air Force Academy. People think that's a re- Oh, they, 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 they must be planning to. No, I said this when Joe Biden won South Carolina. I think I said it on Tucker, but I also said it on Rush, various other places. Uh, in 2016, Trump was all candidate and no minders. I was there backstage. He had, no, he had Hope Hicks, uh, Corey Lewandowski, and uh, there was some guy who'd got to the quarterfinals of, uh, uh, of The Apprentice. That's it. He, he was, I've never seen a less entouraged presidential candidate. He was all candidate, no minders. So they come up with the opposite. Biden who is no candidate and all minders. And it worked. And all this stuff is, oh, but yes, but now, but oh, but, oh, but Biden is 80 now and he's falling over. He wasn't any good four years ago. But he works for them. The dead husk of a moth-eaten sock puppet, to use my line, my own line. The dead husk of a moth-eaten sock puppet is the perfect American presidential candidate. You think... You think they want to uh, get rid of him in order to have somebody uh, who's capable of functioning for themselves? This is there's never been a time like this where you have no one quite knows why Rishi Sunak is British prime minister when he lost the leadership election to Liz Truss, who got removed after two weeks. But the same thing has basically gone on in in the U.S. in a slightly subtler way. There's a guy who clearly is not the chief executive of the United States, but is a useful cover. The more decrepit he gets, the more useful a cover he is for whoever is the actual chief executive of the United States. Uh, And that's why they're not going to let him go. And I I wouldn't entirely rule out if they didn't, you know, amend the Constitution so that Biden, as he approaches 90, 94, 96, can run for a third, fourth and fifth term. Because if you believe in government by a permanent shadow state, then this guy is the perfect candidate. He's the best thing you've ever seen. You're never going to see anything like that 
coming along ever again. Uh, let us pause. Uh, I'm getting a little bit too excited, like to catch my breath. Uh, so let's pause for a brief musical respite from the hell of the headlines. As I mentioned at the top of the show, today is International Sex Workers Day. There is really only one song for International Sex Workers Day, and it was written by Cole Porter for a 1930 show called The New Yorkers. It was the best song in the score, but it was about prostitution, so a newspaper critic denounced it as being in bad taste. Uh, So what did the producers do? Well, they switched the scene. Originally, the song was sung outside Rubens Delicatessen, if you remember Rubens, because it was around until... About uh, 20 years ago, I think I've certainly eaten there. Um, If you remember Rubens, this would be around the time it was on Madison Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. It it moved uh, a bit. So anyway, they switched the scene from outside Rubens on Madison Avenue in Midtown to outside the Cotton Club in Harlem. And they took it away from the white singer, Catherine Crawford, and gave it to a black singer, which uh, presumably made a bad-taste song less distasteful. It would be less offensive uh, if it was an offensive song uh, to have a black singer rather than a white singer singing it. That's what the producers thought. The black singer in question was Elizabeth Welch, I knew Liz very well in later years, and she told me she couldn't believe her luck that she wound up with the best song in the show because it was too controversial to have a white person sing it. That was at the end of December 1930, which is a long time ago, and Liz kept on singing this song for the rest of her life. Uh, Here is Elizabeth Welsh, Six Decades after that Broadway show, when the only sound in the empty street is the heavy tread of the heavy feet that belong to a lonesome cop, I open shop. When the only sound in the empty street is the heavy tread of the heavy feet that belong to a lonesome cop, I open shop. When the moon so long has been gazing down On the wayward ways of this wayward town That her smile becomes a smirk I go to work Love for sale Appetizing young love for sale Love that's fresh and still unspoiled Love that's only slightly soiled Love for sale Who will buy? Who would like to sample my supply? Who's prepared to pay the price For a trip to paradise? Love for sale Let the poets pipe of love In their childish way I know every type of love Better far than they If you 
want the thrill of love I've been through the mill of love Old love, new love Every love but true love Love for sale Appetizing young love for sale If you want to buy my wares Follow me and climb the stairs Love for sale Love Love for If you want to buy my wares, follow me and climb the stairs. My old friend Elizabeth Welsh sings her old friend Cole Porter six decades after she made that song famous on Broadway. I am somewhat stunned to realise that if Liz was still with us, she would be approaching her 120th birthday. Uh, On the other hand, that's what Ava and Dominique will be saying about me in a couple of years. Love for Sale is a great tune. Porter's minor key mastery at its best and 64 bars of it plus a verse. A better song that an international sex workers day deserves. A quote unquote sex worker spends much of her professional life on her back staring at the ceiling. Joe Biden, who prostitutes himself only to Chairman Xi and the like, spends much of his professional life on his front, staring at the pavement or the planking. He was doing it again at the Air Force Academy yesterday. If this were a novel or a play, the symbolism would be a little too obvious. I'm by your side And I look a little star Got to learn to read between the 
I keep my feelings locked in place I love you is written on my face stumble when I take a walk, if I fumble when I try to talk, darling, do you get the message? I'm falling. There you have it, folks. Joe Biden's uh, campaign 2024 theme song. That's uh, Sammy Turner singing Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. There was a time uh, in the 80s and 90s when I used to run into Lieber and Stoller at music biz get togethers on either side of the Atlantic every few weeks. And in the course of the evening, they used to get up and do a medley of their hits, which are extensive. Kansas City, Hound Dog, Jailhouse Rock, Yakety Yak, Stand By Me, I'm a Woman, W-O-M-A-N, which Jerry Lieber used to sing doing a very dainty little dip on the word woman. I can still see him doing that. And uh, once in a while, I used to ask them to do Falling, which is a very minor song of theirs, but which I was quite partial to, and they'd poo-poo the idea. But one night, they did get up and do it. And if you ever saw their jukebox musical, Smokey Joe's Cafe, you'll know that it subsequently made the cut on Broadway. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A, live around the planet. More your questions in just 30 seconds. This is Mark Stein. After three years in COVID stan, it's time to get out of town. So join me on the 2023 Mark Stein cruise, sailing from Italy to Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Australia, Britain, Europe, and we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. Yeah, the beautiful Adriatic with Ava, Leilani, Alexandra, Dominique and many more. You can't beat that, MarkSteinCruise.com. It is 20 to 9, British summertime, a little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be on this turbulent earth. Let us get back to your questions. Bill Holcomb writes, Hi Mark, the reason the sadly decrepit Biden is the only Democrat presidential candidate to have been put forward is that the liberal deep state can't find another sock puppet, as you so aptly call him. Can you think of another corporeal entity without a functional intelligence that the Dems could look could put forward? Looking forward to the cruise and I bought a book. Off come with their heads. Thank you for buying a book, Bill, and I look forward to uh, seeing you on the cruise. I don't think they've got any... Sh- if they need dead husks of moth-eaten sock puppets, the Democrats are brimming with them. There's that Fetterman guy. He's a uh, senator for Pennsylvania. <clears throat> the uh, Basically doing the uh, putting-on-the-ritz routine... Uh, that Frankenstein's monster did in the Mel Brooks film Young Frankenstein. There's Fetterman doing that. So somebody, he's supposedly senator from Pennsylvania, only 
uh, it's clear that whoever is actually running the Pennsylvania end of the U.S. Senate is anyone other than Fetterman. Then we have Diane Feinstein, uh, who's the senator from California. Uh, she is, uh, I'm told, it's a cruel uh, but it, it's a cruel joke, but it will be familiar to anybody who has uh, dealt with elderly parents in this situation. Uh, that Chuck Schumer goes and talks to her <laughs> and uh, and uh, tells her it's time to sit down from her committee, step down from her committee assignments and whatever. And eventually he persuades her and she agrees to do it. And then he runs into her, you know, four hours later and she's completely forgotten having agreed to do that. Um, uh, so there's no only I mean, it, I don't know. Again, you know, don't wave that constitution at me. I don't know. Some of these constitutional conservatives. Look, only 100 people out of 300 plus million. I don't know what it is. If you add in all the illegals, it's about 457 million people across the fruited plain. Only 100 of them get to go and sit in the United States Senate and serve <laughs> as senator. And a remarkable number of them... Uh, uh, are basically uh, close to being brain dead. It's weird. You know, it's supposed to be. And don't wave that constitution at me. It's supposed to be a republic of self-government. It's not supposed to be sock puppets being waggled around by their minders. And we, you know, I'm not even... I've just been citing the most obvious ones. But if you look at that clip of uh, Judith Curry and me uh, pushing back against that bird brain from Massachusetts, Ed Markey. You can see that he needs to be fed his lines by his minders. This is the way they want it. Who is it? Who's running America? Who's running America? Because we know it isn't. Uh, we know it isn't. Uh, Joe Biden. That fallen stuff isn't really funny at all, because it's not just that it's sending a signal to America's enemies. Today, for I just saw this. This came across the transom. Uh, very striking. Let me see if I can get the right count. Iran. Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Oman have agreed to form a single navy uh, under Chinese control. I've no idea what this is about. I don't. I. I it may perhaps be overstated. Iran is America's enemy, death to the great Satan and all that. The other three are supposed to be American allies. And uh, at least two of them within living memory, by which I mean my living memory, uh, had uh, uh, British commanders of their naval forces. Uh, and yet now suddenly they've all gotten together. Iran and three American allies in the region have gotten together and are cozying up to China. The world is moving on. The world sees this guy falling over. I mean, you know, uh, if, if, you're, if you're supposed to be impressed by the United States Air Force, does it actually help uh, 
to have a guy falling over when he's graduating the next generation of Tom Cruise flyboys. I don't think it does. Um, And as I said, I think this morning, you know, no matter how old she got, the Queen, who was a generation older than Biden, uh, that's that's to say uh, served in the uh, Second World War, uh, at a time when Biden was barely out of diapers or nappies, as they would say at Windsor Castle. Uh, the Queen was never that decrepit in public. Um, something is badly wrong. And, and the ultimately, when you look at these people, Biden, Dianne Feinstein, Fetterman, uh, or even people who are, you know, a third of Biden's age, but have already got it, like uh, the word salad gal, uh, Kamala Harris. This doesn't say anything good about the health of representative government in the United States. Elisa Angel says, while the supposed commander-in-chief was falling on his face at the Air Force Academy commencement ceremony, did you know his wife and daughter were representing the U.S. at the wedding of the Crown Prince of Jordan? Do we not have an ambassador in Jordan? Uh, Is the supposed First Lady an official representative of the United States who should be officially representing her clumsy husband at foreign events. Did you know that Nancy and Paul Pelosi also attended the Crown Prince's wedding? Isn't Nancy merely the U.S. representative of California's 11th Congressional District? What gives? Why does this happen? Well, it happens because you're no longer a real republic, because it wouldn't happen if you were a real republic. I'm not saying anything particularly about the United States here. I don't think... uh, his Majesty the King should have rep- should have invited uh, representatives of uh, the United States and elsewhere to uh, his coronation, because I think corona- uh, coronations used to be uh, uh, well, 1952. It was coronation was basically for representatives of the Commonwealth plus non-monarchical representatives of other European royal families, most of whom were cousins of the Queen. Now, what I now what I don't by the way, that's a coronation. What we're talking about here is the wedding of a crown prince. It is not clear to me uh, that that even in a monarchy, a crown prince, is an is an actual uh, constitutional state thing uh, that that uh, people or that that foreign uh, grandees ought to be attending at. Um, I'm not sort of comfortable with that. Uh, there is a royal family, but the royal, uh, you know, the in 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 constitutional theory. Uh, the king is not the head of state. The king is the embodiment, the legal personality of the state. He is the state. L'état c'est moi. Um, but I don't think that applies to the crown prince of Jordan. You know what? It's all rubbish. I mean, this is just next door to Jordan in Lebanon. The uh, U.S. 
government is just building a new embassy for $700 million spread over 42 acres. 42 acres. And it's going to be the usual thing. You'll know this if you pass almost any American embassy in the world, long lines of people standing outside trying to get through security to go in. If you're a terrorist, the easiest thing to do is not to bother trying to blow up the uh, embassy, but to try and just simply blow up the people standing in line waiting to try to get into the embassy. What you mean, What you have if you have a 42-acre embassy compound in Lebanon is it means you have an embassy staff or even more detached than American diplomats already are from the country they're supposedly in because they've got Dunkin' Donuts and Taco Bell inside the 42-acre compound so they don't have to go outside uh, and mingle with people in the streets of the capital city. This is another reason why America is screwed. You know, this whole thing... Uh, and by the way, I agree with Elisa about the First Lady. I don't think First Lady is an office. I think if you take being a republic seriously, the so-called First Lady is just the woman or cis woman or trans woman or cis man or whatever, who happens to be married to the bloke who's president. It isn't an office, and there's something slightly... Uh, it is very Woodrow Wilson uh, the sending... It's one thing to send Jill Biden to go and read children's books at a school or whatever. It's rather another thing to send her to go uh, as the representative of America at the wedding of the Crown Prince of Jordan. It's, uh, you know, the, the, these, the, the King Abdullah is not Jordan. He does not, in the end, represent Jordan. He's a Hashemite prince whose family were the benefits of a not terribly inspired colonial office decision uh, I think it was Winston Churchill, in fact, uh, just a little over a century ago. I don't, I don't like this kind of thing. Either, either you're a real republic uh, or you're not. Uh, Pete Procopio says, Mark, I realize I'm not offering anything new here, but it helps my blood pressure a bit to say it out loud. We truly live in bizarro world. Everything is 180 degrees out of phase. I just heard a radio commercial touting the, quote, conservative win, unquote, secured by McCarthy and company on their debt ceiling negotiation. Their shrewd deal didn't actually cut spend Rather, they agreed to unlimited debt increases until 2025. Moreover, they call keeping spending at 2022 levels the biggest spending cut ever passed. Did you catch that? By not spending more, they are spending less. Only in this plastic banana, good time rock and roll, baseline budgeting world can politicians get away with calling not spending more money a cut. They're not doing it with sinister political tricks or in the dead of night. They're literally running radio commercials, patting themselves on the back. Holy smokes, we're doomed. But at least Clay and Buck spent half their show debating whether all the candidates in the Republican primary should announce they will pardon Trump. OK, got that out of my system. And it was very cathartic. Much appreciated. This is true. Uh, for purposes of comparison, it took 
the American Republic, its first two centuries to ramp up $4 trillion of federal debt. $4 trillion is what McCarthy has uh, just agreed to let Joe Biden run up in the next year and a half until, uh, I believe, January 2025. So what it used to take two centuries to ramp up now takes a year and a half. I can't stress this enough. America has voted itself uh, in a bipartisan manner to be immune to the laws of economic gravity. It is only in a position to do this because unlike uh, an economic illiterate like Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe, uh, America is uniquely in a position uh, to print the money that its debt is denominated in. Uh, This is an historical privilege that no one would accord the United States today. And in fact, whether you are talking about that little curious naval story uh, involving Iran and three supposed American allies, or whether you're talking about the BRICS, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, uh, the key regional players around the world um, uh, couldn't be more couldn't be more upfront that they're moving away. They've embraced the post-American world as a thing, uh, not because they necessarily want it. It's going to be destabilizing, but they've figured they have no choice. And by the way, destabilizing is what it will be for Brazil or South Africa. For America, the collapse of the dollar will be catastrophic. Most people in the United States only have six weeks worth of cash on hand if things go bad, by which I mean, you know, you're laid off or you suddenly get sick sick or whatever. You've got sick. The average American has six weeks worth of cash. That's before the collapse of the dollar. When the dollar collapses, you've got about six minutes worth of cash. Uh, So we're being very reckless. Again, this is is complacency taken to suicidal levels. You know, uh, American exceptionalism doesn't mean that uniquely on the planet, the laws of economic gravity are suspended. Germany was a very great power until uh, the disaster of the Great War. Uh, but the, the Weimar Republic learned the hard way that things can all, when the currency collapses, things can always get worse. Frank Gallenstein writes, Hi, Mark. Have you heard the former Chicago mayor, Laurie Lightfoot, has been appointed as a Richard L. and Ronnie A. Menschel Senior Leadership Fellow <laughs> uh, for the full term at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Rumor has it that her first course will be how to feign leadership skills when you have none. What a joke. Uh, Harvard is an elite institution. You know, people mortgage their homes to send their kids to this place. 
And increasingly, there's nothing worth learning at these institutions. So that, uh, you, you know, how much money do you think she's getting to be this like senior leadership fellow for the fall term? There is nothing to be learned from Laurie Lightfoot. The idea that you would pay a six-figure sum to learn from Laurie Lightfoot is another reason why we're going off the cliff. I mentioned this with Gordon Chang when we were talking about China on whatever it was, Monday or Tuesday's show, uh, Mark Stein's show on the telly. And I pointed out that, you know, the Chinese think American education is a joke because their kids uh, learn math and uh, how to play the cello and we learn all this uh, transgender and colonialism bollocks uh, in our schools. So we are taking elite institutions that can run on fumes for a bit. I don't doubt that. But eventually these people, you know, sometimes yeah, I notice the way a lot of people are. It's a theme of recent weeks. A lot of people are happy to destroy their brand. Some people just decide to shoot for it like the L.A. Dodgers and Target and Bud Light. And other people do it more subtly. I mean, Google's search engine is so crap now that it's difficult to imagine. Again, as we talked about on the show a couple of days ago, TikTok is the number one website in the world. That wouldn't have been possible had Google not distorted its own core product, which is its search engine, which is no longer does what it purports to do. But uh, and likewise, Yale and Harvard and so forth, you know, you tend to think it's the Lupia universe, but it's not now. It's the absolute core of the Ivy League, Harvard and Yale, that are now destroying their brands. Um, uh, <coughs> Sorry about that. Got a little... Got a little uh, choke in, in my throat uh, there. Mike Lyons says, Mark, as one in the same boat as yourself, I wonder if you've heard any research or anecdotal evidence. This, this is about the COVID uh, vaccine. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike got some, he said I uh, took the vaccine uh, for travel reasons. I didn't know. I keep saying to people, I believe in the sovereign individual now. Uh, you need to have multiple passports to move around this world because the one people they can't deny admission to are uh, citizens of various. So I, I, I never believed in multiple passports. If you look up, there's an interview with me with uh, David Frum's sister, who's now a Canadian senator, Linda Frum, and uh, she interviewed me for the National Post when America Alone came out, and I said, no, I don't believe in multiple passports. Um, if I c uh, call from some other side of the world demanding that HMCS Toronto come and rescue me, it's because I've only got a Canadian passport in my pocket. I'm not like Lebanon, where 60% of the population have a Canadian passport tucked away for emergencies, and the other 40% have an Australian passport. Well, I am like that now. I have multiple, since the COVID made travel and freedom of movement conditional and difficult. Um, 
I uh, now ha have multiple passports. Um, as you know, I'm an Irish, Belgian, Canadian, so that's three right there. And uh, then I pile back through the grandparents' generation, see what else I can come up with. So I've got tons of passports sewn in my coat. So I didn't have it done for the travel, Mike. I had it done because um, there's uh, someone close to me who's got a compromised immune system uh, and who... Uh, if uh, she acquired the COVID, I'm not sure it would have gone well uh, for her. So I felt it was the responsible thing to do. More fool me. I was extremely naive and I wouldn't have done it now because one of the side effects of the COVID vaccines is that people get highly compromised immune systems. And Mike says, I wonder if you've heard any research or anecdotal evidence about what our future holds. The human body is capable of incredible self-repair. So perhaps as each day passes, the odds of suffering a fatal outcome from the shots recedes. Or perhaps, and especially with the mRNA shots, everything is a ticking time bomb. You'll never get an experimental mRNA shot in me again for any reason. But I do wonder if time will heal those wounds or not. Well, the thing is, we don't know. This is one reason why Chief Censor Grade at Ofcom and Deputy Chief Censor Dame Melanie at Ofcom and whatever she is, you know, Assistant Deputy Under Censor Nula Cosgrove at Ofcom are, 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 are so irresponsible in attempting to restrict honest conversation about the vaccines. But I will, I have said this before, and I think it's an interesting point. I was told this by a cardiologist that I happened to see about a month, I think about a month or so after my heart attack, who said that there's evidence that the vaccines act as an accelerant and so that a cancer you might have got in, you know, when you were 87 now shows up when you're 62. He said it shows up 20 to 25 earlier, the uh, years earlier. The heart attack you might have had at 96 now shows up when you're 76. This is why, if you look at the uh, excess death statistics, they're in the, among the young and the middle age. So, the middle-aged guy who gets who would have got a heart attack at 64, uh, he now gets it at 39 or whatever. This this is what's happening. Also, these what um, I think I think this is Naomi's uh, term for them: the turbo cancers. People get diagnosed with cancer, and and we've had you know uh, we've had an undertaker on the show talking about these young, these these so-called turbo cancers. People get diagnosed with cancer and they're dead eight weeks later. So there's none of this stage two, stage three, stage four thing. The thing just roars its way through you. Then we have the thing that Ros Jones and I were talking about, the newborns. You know, myocarditis, which was a young man's disease, a young man's disease, essentially. You might, you know, you might from the vaccine. You might get it when you're, you might have the vaccine and get it when you're 30 or whatever. And instead, we've got newborns in Wales uh, suddenly showing up with myocarditis. So again, 30 years younger from when we thought the sort of risk point 
was. Then we have Justin Bieber, Canada's teen heartthrob. He's, I used to be Canada's teen heartthrob, but apparently Justin Bieber's succeeded me now. And uh, and uh, Gillen Barre, uh, not Gillen Barre syndrome, Ramsey Hunt syndrome, why he had to cancel his tour because of his twitching face. That's a disease that afflicts men in their 60s. And Justin Bieber looks pretty great, I would say, for a guy in his 60s. Oh, but it turns out he's only 28. So this thing, this thing, uh, there appears to be a, a, a circumstantial evidence that these things are an, an, an accelerant. I don't know what to tell you, Mike. Uh, people did something really evil uh, in promoting uh, the universality, it, it, just to be mild about it. Promoting these things as universal. Everyone's got to get them. Doesn't matter whether you're 112 or you're six months old. This, this is the one-size-fits-all cure for the entire planet. And given what they knew in the trials, uh, Naomi Wolf's view that it's an act of mass murder is a reasonable position, I think. Uh, certainly more reasonable than Ofcom's position. Toby Pilling says, <laughs> Did you ever meet Danny LaRue? <laughs> With all the trans madness everywhere, I miss the good old-fashioned transvestites. Do they even exist anymore? Well, not like Danny LaRue. Danny LaRue was delightful company. But probably um, Britain's most famous uh, transvest showbiz transvestite for the second half of the 20th century and um, absolutely gorgeous gowns um, and uh, and a good choice in song. I had a big hit with On the Mother Kelly's Doorstep Down Paradise Row I'd sit along Nelly She'd sit along Joe. She had a little hole in a frock, a hole in a shoe, a hole in her stocking where her toe peeped through. Oh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Toby. I haven't thought about that in a long, long time. Uh, KD says... Uh, am I being naive in finding hope in the negative reception to feed Netflix's Cleopatra, Disney's The Little Mermaid, and the emasculation of Indiana Jones? Sorry, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Even the establishment shills are panning these woke travesties. Is this an indication of a sea uh, 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 change? Well, as my uh, late friend Doris Fisher, a very nice song writer who wrote that old devil called love uh, and uh, it, it came back in the 1980s and people always oh, this a sign of a sea change and she used to say one swallow uh, doesn't make a summer uh, the, the idea that this prefaces some return to a glorious golden age a popular song and I feel the way about this you know here's the problem as I always say we now have corporate storytelling corporate storytelling 
So a story is not the product of one man's imagination. It's the product of a committee. And the committees are full of wokesters. And, you know, they won't, they'll be justified. They've wrecked, they wreck, Disney wrecks every franchise it touches. So the, the best thing you could do for the future of Western civilization is destroy the corporate storytelling uh, regimes, which are hard. It's easy to destroy beer brands like Bud Light. Destroying the corporate storytellers uh, is a lot more difficult, but it, it would be a huge victory to pull it off. Uh, a little more music to close. I'm pretty tuckered out. Uh, Joe Biden falling down matters because he's the head of state of the American Republic, and he is completely decrepit, and he appears to be completely decrepit in public. Here's a song you may know in its Elvis Costello version from the 80s, but it was first recorded a decade and a half earlier by Sam and Dave. I can't stand up for falling down. Sing it, Sam and Joe. Uh, Joe and Dave. Uh...
Written by Homer Banks and Alan Jones and first recorded by Sam and Dave, the new national anthem of the United States. Please, please, there's no need to rise. As a great republic approaches its semi-quincentennial, I can't stand up for falling down. You do realise, by the way, that whoever is proclaimed the winner of next year's election, which in America isn't necessarily the same as winning next year's election, uh, but whoever's proclaimed the winner will be presiding over the 250th anniversary jubilations of these United States. And right now, according to the very latest poll from The Economist and YouGov, that will be Biden over Trump by three points. The stumble bum goes up a point for every fall. To paraphrase Nat King Cole, he just lies there and America dies there. Stick with Stein Online this weekend for Rick McGuinness on the movie beat, Tal Backman on the Backman beat. The Mark Stein Show returns on Monday. Stay safe, stay free, stay well. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.